Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome to the First Cut Podcast post round two of the Sony Open. We are going to review everything we've seen through two rounds of this tournament and look forward to the weekend. And to do that, I'm bringing in my good friend, Greg Ducharme. Welcome to the show, sir. Oh, well, I'm happy that you called me a good friend now. We've had a, a nice start to the relationship. It's, it's a true honor, Rick. So I'm we, very happy to be here. For, we've known each other for two whole weeks. I think I can say we're almost best friends at this point. I think so. I mean, I don't like the almost being in there, but I, I love the friend word being thrown around. So I'm uh, happy to be here. I saw those uh, slick uh, new wedges you got, so I'm trying to buddy up. I'm trying to buddy up with yeah, you. Yeah, now I get it. Now I get it. I do have some old SM7s that uh, there are some bitters on, on, on in the Twitter sphere here. So those things are beautiful. I, I just I'll, I'll tell you because I'm so excited about it. The SM8s are out, and uh, well, I shouldn't say that they're out, but they they are out on the PGA Tour and. Um, and some very fortunate few like me have have gotten theirs. And I actually went out to California a couple months ago, and or early December, and was able to get fit. And during my fitting, this will make you really jealous. I had Bob Vokey, mm. and I had a couple other uh, a couple other Vokey guys. One of which who uh, actually makes and and designs the wedges. He's like the scientist behind Vokey's. Vokey's kind of got an artistic design to him, and and this guy. Uh, is is the scientist behind it. I had him, I had Boke, and I had uh, a fitter who's a, a full-time fitter out in Carlsbad out there. And the three of them all kind of watched me hit wedge shots separately, and they all agreed on all three of my wedge makeup. So I have a perfect fit, and it's uh, they're slick. I'm so happy to have them. I love that. And the confidence you get when you know something is built, uh, just for you is, uh, priceless. Uh, that's, that Carlsbad's, you know, my neck of the woods. I'm not too far. I might have to get down there and get fitted for, for some, uh, for some I wedges. highly recommend it. You just, you have to get fit for your wedges. It's the most, un- it, well, I shouldn't say the most, but it's probably top two most underrated, uh, things in your bag to get wedges for, uh, to get fit for rather. And when you're fit properly, it makes a huge difference. So super yeah. excited. And, and, uh, Lord knows I need help from a hundred yards and in, but all right, here we go. So let's, uh, let's do this. Those wedges are beautiful. What is not beautiful has been the weather we've seen in Honolulu this week. Uh, Sony Open, Cam Davis ranked number 310 in the world and Brendan Steele ranked number 403 in the world are sitting at the top of the leaderboard at six under par. And we were just talking about this before we kind of went hot. This leaderboard that we have at the Sony Open is so incredibly bunched up. Literally the cut line, Greg, one over. Every single person who's going to play the weekend is within seven shots of this. And you got to figure with the weather uh, wet and, and windy still tomorrow, a little less windy, but definitely wet. And Sunday, the wind kind of calms down a little bit. you got to figure there's low scores out there, uh, especially on Sunday. So if you can stay within – Five or even six shots. I mean, you gotta feel like you can make up some serious ground this weekend, don't you think? 
Yeah. I, I mean, one, you go low. Uh, so I think so much of this already through two rounds. Um, of course, these guys had have had to have been really good, but I also think there is so much luck involved in a tournament like this. I mean, the the AMPM wave. I didn't see the final numbers on this, Greg, but I, I know it was playing like two and a half shots more uh, more difficult if you teed off early on Thursday and in the afternoon on Friday. So like that alone, and then you get in these windy conditions where you catch a gust. You keep hearing these guys say they're getting gusted, right? So it's like there's so many factors that go into this, which I think then leads to the point of – Something crazy can happen. Somebody can come from five shots back or someone could run away with it. I think there is a a lot of golf still to be played and it's kind of wide open. When when you look at some of the factors we have at play here, one, blustery conditions, that makes it and you hear him talk about it on the telecast constantly, it makes it very difficult uh, on the greens. And you know, players are are somewhat used to hitting balls and wind. It, it gets windy. A lot of these guys live in Florida where it's very windy. They, they, you know, you have some Australians, some Texans in the field. They, there are players that are very accustomed to playing in the wind. But once you get onto the greens, that's when it really becomes a, a really difficult aspect of the game. We heard it last week. We heard it this week. Players getting gusted. And, and it really changes those three and four footers. And then you add into the mix this week the, the rain. And you're on greens that aren't brand new like they were at Kapalua. And all of a sudden those spike marks start to pick up a little bit and you combine spike marks on really soft greens and wind and it becomes extremely difficult to putt. And like you said, a little bit of luck involved. I look at a guy like Brandon Steele, who in the first two rounds has gained uh, over, you know, near the 3.4 strokes, uh, strokes game putting, 3.35 strokes game putting today. He leads the field in strokes game putting, but you know, is that something you think can be withstand? Is, is that sustainable? Generally, no. Uh, what we've seen over the course of you know the strokes gained era is the strokes gained putting is the most volatile stat round to round, uh, um, let alone week to week, and it is very difficult to post two rounds like he did like you said plus three uh or more on on both on both of the first two rounds so far patrick reed i mean patrick reed was able to keep it going to a playoff last week and then it kind of dried up for him at the end he wasn't able to finish it off and and win the event but like it is possible it is just extremely unlikely when you know he's only gaining 1.3 total through two rounds t to green he's just doing all of his work with the putter which tends to be a very difficult way to do this. I mean, Brendan Steele is interesting because this is not, uh, you know, he might be confused. This is the Sony open, not the Safeway open, which is usually where we see him do <laughs> right. all of his work. Right. <laughs> and, and the other thing about him is the, the, this is a, a very atypical kind of statistical breakdown for, um, for, for Brendan Steele. He in 2019 was 176th in strokes game putting 15th in strokes gained off the tee. Uh, in, in 2020, it's much of the same. 143rd strokes game putting, 79th off the tee, which being so early on, you've got to give him a break. But throughout his career, he's, he's a pretty good driver of the golf ball. I would say an excellent driver of the golf ball. That, that's probably the reason why he's a tour player. The putting is not something that you would normally look for. So when you look at a player from a handicapping perspective, you look at a player like this putting really well, not necessarily driving it well. His iron, his iron game's doing, doing okay. Do you think, like, part of me almost thinks that, uh, that a Brendan Steele can 
turn it around with the driver going into the weekend. And although he's been leaning on his putter in the first two rounds, maybe uh, if the if the weather changes a little bit for him, maybe he can get it going with the full swing. Yeah, so this this is a this ends up turning into a really interesting like math problem or a puzzle when when you look at it and say okay you're you know for the average tour event you probably need to gain thirteen or fourteen strokes to win it something like that right you know yes if this turns around where he starts to hit his driver like he normally does or he hit, he starts to hit it at an elite level and say for the next two rounds he gains a stroke per round. But now his putter comes back down to earth for what we would expect. And now instead of gaining three per round, he's just gaining like a half a stroke per round. It's just like he's not going to be able to replace the production that he's already found on the greens in the first two rounds, even if his driver gets back to like kind of Rory elite levels, right? It just ends up being a very small sample size math problem that I I have a feeling a lot of times does not equate to Brendan Steele winning the golf tournament. And you, you brought up Patrick Reed earlier, how Patrick Reed was able to hang on after two rounds and get into a three-way playoff. I, I look at Patrick Reed in a completely different light than a Brendan Steele because Patrick Reed was playing to his strengths. Going into the tournament, Patrick Reed is an excellent short game player, has been his entire career, uh, and an excellent putter. It, it, Patrick Reed is on a completely different level than someone like Brendan Steele. So I, I tend to agree with you here. Um, where I don't know how confident I am in someone like uh, like Brendan Steele, especially when the leaderboard is so packed. Yeah, so let's talk about the other guy at the top. So Cam Davis, number 310 in the world, younger guy, kind of really getting his, his first taste of uh, PGA Tour action this year. Uh, we saw him wrap up the 2019 calendar year with a T3 at the Australian PGA Championship. He is an Aussie, so he's got a lot of experience kind of all over the world and on the Corn Ferry Tour. I was pretty impressed with his play. I mean, he, he very similarly, uh, did it in the same way that, um, Brendan Steele has, which is again, gaining a lot of strokes on the greens, but I don't know, seems really solid. A lot of these Aussies, we talked about it in uh, a couple of days ago, probably Monday, you know, who are, who are donating to, um, you know, all of the, 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 the wildfires and whatnot, like Cam Davis is, is one of those guys. And I was actually looking at the wrong guy. Cam Davis leads the field in strokes gain T to green and he's losing strokes putting. That's the combination right. I want. I, well, I was going to bring that up. I mean, he, he's second in strokes gain off the tee, ninth in strokes gain approach. Uh, he just happens to be 98th in, in putting. So you, you look at a, this is why this tournament is so, difficult to predict at this point because you you just take his name away from it take his record away from it a guy who's only made uh, one cut so far this year on the pga tour uh, during the wraparound season it was like a tied 28th he missed every other cut i think he has five missed cuts this year already and here he is as probably the guy hitting it better than anybody else in the field yeah uh, and on a golf course like this you would you would think well this is the guy that get he, he could probably get something going with the putter and make a real move over the weekend but again this is is this really a a player that we expect do we expect Cameron Davis to be able to hang on against the likes of Webb Simpson and even guys like Keegan Bradley and you got Sung J.M. back there There, there's a number of really talented players back there Uh, and and the other Australian Cameron Smith is is right there at 500 par as well yeah Cam Smith is lurking I mean this is the really interesting situation Greg where if you removed everybody's name and I looked at this and said, okay, the guy who's playing 
by far the best in the field from tee to green. Uh, the guy who uh, is still losing strokes putting, which he's normally a pretty average putter, so that's good news. And you look at it, and he's 18 to 1, and he's currently tied for first. Um, I'd be sprinting to the window to bet this. So, like, now I have to decide, does just the fact of lack of, you know, lack of experience or the fact that it's Cameron Davis, is that what's going to stop me? Because everything else says this is setting up to be a great weekend for him. Well, I, I got to get your thoughts on this because I know right now, if, if you're saying right now, if you're looking to take that 18 to 1 odds, you're thinking, if, and he does win, you're killing yourself if you don't do it. But at the same time, there's not really much evidence to say that he's going to do it, especially when you have a Sunday where the conditions will get a little bit more normal and uh, they, they should play, in my anticipation, fairly easy on Sunday. I think when the wind gets down to a 10-mile-an-hour wind and you have a really soft golf course from all the rain, I, I mean, that is that, – that, that you're, you're going to expect to see some really low scores. So you look at a Cameron Davis who has very little experience on the PGA Tour – uh, and and not a guy who's used to really being in this scenario. It's hard for me to say Cameron Davis is the is the favorite here, despite his statistics. Uh, trust me, yeah. I mean, I, I don't I don't love it, right? It's just one of these situations where if I removed his name, everything adds up, and and I'd I'd kind of argue, you know, these guys can't win until they can. Right? I mean, it's, everyone's got to come up and 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 win their first one. It's these, a fair these, point. These young guys are more ready now than they've ever been with the, you know, the increased technology and metrics and everything we know. You know, we'll talk about Murakawa in a second. Like these guys are jumping out and are ready to play on the biggest stages. And, and quite frankly, it's not like there's a bunch of other big names uh, breathing down anybody's neck here. You know, JT misses the cut. Patrick Reed misses the cut. You mentioned Webb is lurking a handful of shots back, but like, it's not like, you know, Tiger's out here running them down. It's not like it's a star studded leaderboard. You probably are going to be in a, a situation where Cameron Davis is as comfortable as he could be uh, in playing in the final group tomorrow, playing with a guy like Brendan Steele. Not yeah. only is he not, a, he's not a huge name. It's not Tiger Woods. The crowds aren't going to be running out in front to try to see Tiger's ball. He's not going to have any of that to, to deal with. Um, but, and, and Brandon Steele, he seems like a, an extremely nice guy. He seems very even keeled. It, it should be very comfortable for him, but I still look at a guy like Cameron Smith, who uh, is a much more seasoned player on the PGA Tour. I look at a Keegan Bradley, who's a major champion. I, even a, a, a Ryan Palmer is a guy who I, I, I really have my eye on going into the weekend. These guys are, not necessarily going to intimidate you based on their name, but they are seasoned winners on the PGA Tour. Yeah, and, and I think that's fair. Um, and I, I, I would be remiss if we didn't stop and pause on Morikawa for a second because uh, before I hop on my soapbox and, and describe my profound love for him, like what did you think of Morikawa's round today specifically where he went out and shot an even par 70? Well, it, I mean, this is basically a, a round in difficult conditions where he got away with even par in a scenario where it didn't look very good, right? This, this is, yeah. it, it started to slip away for a while. We're watching most of this tournament and, and he's hanging around and you mentioned the guy, the names on top of the leaderboard and Morikawa is looking like the favorite um, when he makes the turn at even par. And then he makes back-to-back bogeys on 14 and 15 with, uh, I would say an uncharacteristic tee shot on number 14 
uh, and then just kind of got himself out of position on 15 with his approach shot. But he showed his, I, I think he really showed who Callum Morikawa is on 17 and 18. Um, the 17th hole playing, although it's playing soft, it's a little bit easier. That Redan style hole, uh, an excellent birdie there, he just flagged it. And then on 18, he took advantage of an easier par five. I, I think that's the kind of round, that's the kind of finish that you look back on when you're holding the trophy and you say, hey, when uh, when I'm looking at this second victory on the PGA Tour, I, I look back to 17 and 18 on Friday night. I was so impressed by this. You know, this this kid got the wrong end of the draw in a big way. You know, the 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 Thursday morning, Friday afternoon draw, like two and a half shots worse, which you can look at the leaderboard and see. I mean, I'm just trying to, off the top of my head, the only guys in the top ten that I think came from that wave were Morikawa and I think Sabatini was the only other one. The yeah. rest of these guys all finished up early on Friday, right? I don't see anybody else in here off the top I, of my head. Yeah, you're, you're 100% right. And so, so that even par round is big. So so the fact that he just gets right, he gets the worst of it. He's one shot back. And to your point, Greg, I think there was a spot in this round it could have got away. It's it's windy conditions. It's grinding on everyone. He's missing fairways. He's trying to figure out how to hit recovery shots and how to make par. And there was a a chance that that this round gets away from him. And he's now five shots back, you know, going into tomorrow. And he's in 45th or whatever. But for him to finish birdie birdie on 17, 18. And I think when he looks back at this and assesses it and says, okay, I got the worst end of it. I might not might not have had my best stuff today on friday but i'm one off the lead and yeah. in, in the same thing like who am i chasing down Brent, brendan Steele and cameron smith uh, or cameron smith and cameron davis cool i think i can do that I, I yeah i would say he's definitely licking his chops looking at this leaderboard i i found it very interesting in his interview and you mentioned this about cameron davis and how these young guys are so ready to come out and play um and and he was asked after the round you know how, where's your mental toughness come from? Did it come from when you were young? And the first thing that he mentioned was having a, a, a swing coach and a mental coach from a very young age. Um, and, he, and he mentioned his coach, Rick, uh, Rick Sesenhaus. And I found that very interesting. It's a new era where these kids are there when they're playing in the AJGA and they're playing wherever they're playing. They're, they're not just learning how to play golf. They're not growing up like I did and probably like you did where they're playing all kinds of different sports and they're just, they're just kids that are playing. These kids are training from an extremely young age and they're prepping their mind right from the start. They're getting PGA tour level training when they're, you know, 10, 12, 15 years old. And that makes a huge difference. Uh, and, and in my opinion, and I think you're going to see a wave of young guys come out ready to go. The only interesting thing about that is, well, where can Colin Morikawa get? Where can Matthew Wolf get? Where can Victor Hovland, Joaquin Neiman, where can the young guys that we see now that are such a surprising wave, can they get to a level that makes the, the kids that are 15 now really struggle <laughs> when they get out there? You, you know what I mean? Yeah, I wonder how long. Yeah, that's a good point where when all of these guys become kind of the norm on the PGA Tour, like then what happens, right? This will continue to evolve multiple times. It should be right pretty interesting it's uh, yeah we've seen it with distance right it's the same thing with distance where everybody all of a sudden john daly's hitting at 300 yards and nobody can believe it and then you turn around (laughs) in in 2020 and pretty much everybody's hitting 
300 you, yards. You have to. Not like you have to. <laughs> right. I mean, I guess have to is strong. You look of at a course. guy like Zach Johnson who's in the mix here, but Zach had struggled a little bit last year. And they, they, you just, you get into this situation where Phil Mickelson, who, who is a, a fairly long hitter and has been his entire career, is going through a distance training program to try to keep up. And I think that the mental edge is the same thing. I think these kids are coming out ready to go because they, and this is, in my opinion, thanks to Tiger Woods and all that we've spoke about with Tiger's mind, they're training their minds to be like Tiger right now. And and the the level of uh, mental fortitude, aptitude, whatever you want to say, is is just continuing to increase. Yeah, he sounded Morikawa sounded like he was 45 years old answering those questions after his round. Like right. he had been, he'd been on the PGA tour for two decades and he knew exactly what was going on and everything was under control. It's super impressive stuff. Um, impressive stuff we did not see, uh, was, was Justin Thomas this week. The, the heavy thing at the Safeway winner last week at the tournament of champions in Maui. Misses the cut and quite frankly, never really threatened it. I don't know how much of, uh, of his round, of his two rounds that you saw, Greg, but just never, I don't know how to describe it. Just stuck in stall, uh, you know, in, in neutral for, for two days. Well, you see yesterday in, in round one, he got off to a tough start and, and making three bogeys in your first five holes is never easy. Now with the Justin Thomas, you would expect, Hey, well, the, the leaders are only a couple under at the time JT's doing this. He, he can probably fight back, but the conditions proved to be a little bit of a challenge for him and things weren't going his way. And it, it just kind of, you know, shooting, he, he did get in at two over on, on his first round, which was, I, I thought a nice spot to be. I, I thought if you were kind of inside that two over number, you could make a move on Friday and get yourself right back into contention. But then on Friday today, we see him make two double bogeys. And the double bogey on uh, number two, which last year led the field in double bogeys, he hit it into the water off the tee. That that hurts you, especially when you're trying to come behind, come from behind. You you can't afford that. There are some players that have made some double bogeys near the top of the leaderboard that I think have a chance to win. But when you make a double bogey and you're uh, three over par or, or, or two over par going into the week, you're in real trouble. And then he made a, a double bogey on the 15th hole as well where it was just an uncharacteristic shot. And uh, and and I, I think that's something that is uh, peculiar about Justin Thomas. Did it surprise you? So I, th- I think, of course, yes, it did surprise me. To, to think that he was ever going to miss the cut would have been a very unlikely scenario. So, yes, it, it certainly surprised me, especially in the way that it came, which was a lot of big numbers. Now, I will say, because I already saw on Twitter, right, everyone wants to sound the alarm and and be very concerned about Justin Thomas, which you shouldn't be. Uh, what I will say is he lost uh, nearly four and a half strokes putting in the first two days. Uh, gained off the tee, gained on approaches. He was fine around the green, lost nearly four and a half strokes putting, which would be the third worst tournament, t- tournament total that he's had in his last 53 tournaments, which is about three and a half years. So the fact that he lost that many over two rounds 
compared to you know some of his worst four round totals, it was a historically bad putting performance for Justin Thomas, while the rest of his game was really really good. So I I chalk this up to say yes, it is very surprising, but it looks to me like an extreme outlier situation. And whenever JT decides to tee it up again, um, you know I'm I'm running him back out there in in all of my lineups, and I think he has just as good of a chance to win as I did two days ago. I don't think this is something to sound the alarm. I think to sound the alarms on Justin Thomas right now. It would now be insane. Is ridic- it would be insane. You, you got to look at what's going on out here. You have blustery winds, 25 yeah. to 35 miles an hour. You got rain. You got the greens are chewed up. There, there are so many, and these aren't excuses. These are just facts of matter. And the, the thing is in conditions like this, it, it does make it more difficult. Yes, it is still playable. You can still get to a number like six under par. You can still play great rounds of golf. But the variables just increase. So when when you're a player like Justin Thomas, who's one of the best players in the world, it, playing in a vacuum is a place where you're going to do really, really well. And, and all of your strengths are going to show, and you're pro- probably going to be right near the top of the leaderboard with all the other stars in the game. When the conditions get really, really bad, it opens up the field. We're seeing that with the with the leaderboard that we see now. The, the edge that Justin Thomas has is limited in conditions like this, because there's just that extra variable. There's that element of luck that is just simply increased in a week like this. And you just start getting the bad breaks and it gets into your mind a little bit. You get a little frustrated. You get a little bit out of sync uh, and your attitude starts to change. Whereas last week he's saying, I, I knew that I was meant to be here. Uh, for some reason, I was meant to win this tournament. Yeah. Well, this week it just went the opposite way. Yeah, couldn't agree more. But you know, that's the world we live in, where everyone on, on in the Twitter sphere wants to, uh, you know, blow up JT. But here's what we're gonna do. I want to get some of your thoughts on some non Sony storylines, and we're gonna take a quick break. But before we do that, can I tell you a Cam Davis story? Yes, please. Okay, because because it's rare that I have. First of all, the fact that I have a Cam Davis well, it's rare story that anybody does <laughs> is like shocking enough. So I feel like I have to say it here. So. Uh, a few weeks ago, uh, I was on the DraftKings YouTube channel and we did a season long PGA draft where we went through. It's based on uh, how much money they earn. We drafted 10 golfers each. And one of the quirks that, uh, they had was a, a computer, a random number generator. And it, when it was the computer's turn to pick, it would randomly, uh, pick a number and whoever, whatever that number was, it would take that golfer in their official world golf rankings. Um, so it's like just adds, it just like adds chaos to it, right? Like that's the whole thing. Uh, yeah. So the computer has like the third overall pick. So it comes up, you know, JT's off the board, John Rahm's off the board, like any, any person is taking, you know, Rory here or whatever, Brooks, whoever it ends up being. And the computer, randomly generates cam davis and for for the last like four weeks we've just been shredding this and being like oh my gosh the computer like no chance in the world blah 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 so it would only be fitting if this guy snaps off a win like week one you know first full field event of the year cam davis wins this thing and the computer uh they might as well you know robots might as well be taking over them they're taking over the world they know something <laughs> we don't you can't you you can't make it up i mean that just it, it just strengthens the opinion hey 
Cam Davis is hitting it great, and the computer knew it, and we didn't. So it's hilarious <laughs> because I was like, it, like I saw he was like one under yesterday, you know, Thursday. I was like, ha, that's funny. Like I'm sure he'll drop out of this thing. He's like, yeah, he's, two under. he's three. I'm like, oh god, he's actually gonna run up and win this thing. Uh, <laughs> I thought that was fun. So we'll see if he can keep it going for for two more rounds because one win would be plenty of value for the computer for the entire year. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have our eye on Cam Davis this uh, week. All right, cool. So uh, let's take a break and hear a word from our partners. Did you know that while over 60% of Americans dream of starting their own business, less than 20% of them take the first step? The reason? Building a business is tough. Taylor Brands is simplifying the business journey. From launching and managing to growing your business, Taylor Brands isn't just another tool. It's your online business partner from launch to success. With Taylor Brands, building your dream business becomes an effortless experience. Their comprehensive platform guides you through every step, ensuring you have everything you need in one place. From LLC formation to bookkeeping, invoicing to acquiring licenses and permits, and even setting up your bank account, Taylor Brands handles it all seamlessly. And our listeners will receive 35% off Taylor Brands LLC formation plans using our link, taylorbrands.com slash Sports. That's T-A-I-L-O-R-B-R-A-N-D-S dot com slash CBS Sports. So start your business journey today with Taylor Brands. NTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. All right, Craig. Uh, a couple of things before we sign off here, because the Patrick Reed, you know, cheater story uh, never seems to stop rolling. And you know, the new story that, that just breaks is Patrick Reed's lawyer sending Brandel Chambly a cease and desist for calling Patrick Reed a quote cheater. Um, you know, we've, we've talked a lot about this, right? And, and we kind of talked about just saying you're wrong or, you know, just being a little self deprecating goes a long way. And, I just don't think like we live in 2020, which is a world where when you double down and triple down on things like this, it just makes it worse. And I just feel like Patrick Reed continues to double down and triple down. This is I I, you can hear my energy level go down here because this is just disappointing to me. It's disappointing to me that we have to continue to talk about. I don't about this. Ah, this story is just. I mean, I, I wish he didn't do what he did. I, I don't care if it was an accident or not. I don't care if he's a cheater or not. I, I wish it didn't happen because it, it, it tainted that event in some way. It changed the storyline for the president's cup. I just I wish it didn't happen. I wish we didn't have to deal with this. This isn't what we should be talking about in the game of golf. Yet we have to. And it just won't go away. And I, I look at this situation. I look at uh Patrick Reed lawyering up and I understand it. I mean, you don't want, you don't want somebody calling you a cheater, especially if you're in his shoes and you don't feel like you cheated. Whether we agree with that or not, if, if you just put yourself in Patrick Reed's shoes, let's just say you, you, uh, that, that he's 
telling the absolute truth from his perspective, mm-hmm. hypothetically. And he didn't cheat. And it was an accident. And he saw it. And he's, in his mind, doing the right thing. And you have somebody sitting there on, on Golf Central calling you a cheater. You'd be uh, upset. You're dealing with what you're dealing with at the President's Cup. You're dealing with all this. Thing. It's all anybody can talk about. And you feel like you didn't do anything wrong. Well, maybe it's not a bad idea to lawyer, lawyer up. I mean, what, what else are you going to do? So now that doesn't have anything to do with my opinion on it. It's just, right. it, it's simply, hey, like there, there is a shadow of a doubt. And I do believe in, uh, innocent until proven guilty. And this is just one of those situations. This is why I wish we didn't have to talk about it because it's impossible to prove. We'll never be able to prove it. So right. it's difficult. Now on the other side of it, if you're Brandel Chambly, his job is to analyze situations. One of the things he's supposed to do is be, uh, be critical when he feels it's necessary to be critical. He's supposed to give his opinion and it's supposed to be honest and he's not supposed to sugarcoat things. So I, I understand why he uses the strong language he does because that's what the videotape looks like. Yeah. So this is just a, a difficult situation on both sides. It, it's, it's strange because we live in a, a news cycle world where every time something new, like it just, it just restarts the news cycle. So now we have to talk about this Patrick Reed thing again, where there's so much other stuff going on in the world of golf that like we could have forgotten about this seven times already. Like the Friday at the Hero World Challenge, if he takes his two shot penalty and he says, holy crap. Uh, yeah, that camera angle looks really bad. It didn't look like that from my angle, but whew, man, that was bad. I take my two shots. Let's all move on with this. Like we, I feel like we never would have heard another word about this. It, it I, I don't, it, it's just hard to say because it didn't happen that way. Right. right. I, but you mentioned the time, you mentioned the stories in the game of golf. You met, I think the timing of this, it could not have happened at a worse time because it's in December and yeah. there's only one event where there's only, uh, 24 guys in the world playing and he's one of them. So yeah. that is going to take a major storyline. It just, it happened to take a storyline in, in an event where Tiger Woods is casting <laughs> in and playing and playing great. Yeah. So, like that should be the story of the president's cup. It should be Tiger Woods. It should be Justin Thomas and Abraham answer and Ernie Els and, and all the things that he did, but it's just not because we want to, we, we have to cling to these stories and it, it's just an unfortunate difficult situation and honestly in this in this lawyering up thing here from patrick reed the cease and desist i i can't say that anybody's right or wrong I mean, it's just frustrating to me so here's two two quick things on this uh so you mentioned timing what i thought was so interesting is this this article from golf week uh who was it iman lynch yeah uh, he they mentioned that this letter was sent basically day two of the president's cup while those guys were over there in australia and to me i'm thinking okay all that's going on he's trying to play golf he's probably calling back to new york where his lawyers located and they're they're hammering this thing out like of course he was like oh and three but you know as this thing got right. going he was probably completely distracted out there so i got a question about this now, yeah. patrick reed seems like the guy that when when i watch him when i listen to him in interviews when i the way that he's handled this from my perspective is he, he lives almost like he lives under a rock. Like he doesn't care about any of this. Like he's yeah. not listening to it. He has no idea what everybody's talking about. And, yeah. and he just kind of going about his own business, which is great for playing golf. But then uh, you hear this true. story 
and now it's like, is Patrick Reed, does he have a little sensitive side or is this just a, a I mean, it's impossible to completely ignore this, but he yeah. made it seem like he did. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Everything he has said publicly is, oh, you know, I didn't hear that guy yell. I didn't hear anything. The Australian fans were just fine. Uh, it doesn't bother me at all. And then, yeah, this stuff comes out. So, all right, here's what we'll do. Let's, uh, do, will we have to talk about this again? That's that's my next thing. Will this evolve another time and we'll have to come back on here and talk about it? Or do you think we're done? Uh, I'm going to go optimist here. I'm going to be <laughs> optimistic. I'm okay. feeling good today. I'm I'm all excited up here at 1130 on the East Coast <laughs> on Friday night. I, I'm feeling I think it's done. I think there may be a little bit. This might linger on a little bit, but I think this story is done. Okay. I hope you're right. At least done until Wings Foot when when uh, those fans get a hold of him. But um, <laughs> let's, that's going to be ugly. Um, let's let's end this on a more uh, you know not a somber note because this is more I, I think celebratory. We we lost Pete Dye, passed away at the age of of 94. Who uh, the contributions to the game of golf that that Pete Dye has contributed are. Uh, you know, it would take me too long to list them all. He's, he's, he's one of the best ever. Two, 2008 World Golf Hall of Fame inductor. He was the fifth architect to be inducted. His courses, uh, I mean, just a laundry list of major events of all kinds being held there. Um, how will you remember Pete Dye in the game of golf? Well, you, you look at the kind of ages of golf course architecture, which I am a, a big fan of golf course architecture. And you look at the guys like, uh, and, well, you, you set these guys aside, the, the A.W. Tillinghast, the uh, Alistair McKenzie, the Donald Ross, these kind of guys that are in that uh, older generation. You, you put those guys aside. You look at the guys that we have now and, and uh, Pete Dye is really is the father of these guys, the, the Reese Jones, the um uh, the, the Gil Hans, um, Core and Crenshaw, all these great architects that we see now. And, and they, they really all looked up to a Pete Dye. You heard Jack Nicholas talk about how he looked up to Pete Dye. Tiger Woods, um, posted a, a tweet saying how when, when he wanted to get into this business, one of the guys he was calling was a Pete Dye. And whether you like his golf courses or not, um, is really irrelevant. You look at the number of golf courses he designed and it's yeah. quite shocking. I mean, go to, go to diedesigns.com and look at the courses and it's incredible. They, and, and it's worldwide. So that is one thing that really amazes me. And, um, I, I worked at a course called Medalist Golf Club, which is fairly well known on the PGA. A lot of, there are a number of PGA tour players that yeah, are there. Yeah, of course. And, uh, during my time there, they did a, a restoration. And this is a Pete Dye golf course. It's a, a Pete Dye and a Greg Norman. And there have been, since the original design, there have been a number of hands on it and they made little tweaks here and there, but it definitely has a, a Pete Dye feel to it. And I learned to love the golf course. It took me a little while. It, it took <laughs> me some experience playing it to really appreciate it. But the coolest thing to me, and I'm reminded of this today, was Bobby Weed who came in and did the restoration while I was there. And this restoration is one that I think will really last. They, I think they're going to settle down with the changes that they make there because it, it's so good. It was so well received. And this was at a time when the golf course, the, uh, at, at, towards the springtime, they were going to, they basically blew it up in the spring. And right before it, it was playing the best it's ever played. It was in perfect condition and they were going to basically spray a chemical, kill all the grass, redo, they blew up the entire golf course basically, except for the rounding and all that. They, did a major restoration 
And some of the people there were like, are we really going to do this now? It's in such good shape. And Bobby Weed came in and did a, did a, a masterful job. And the next year when I went back, everybody was in love with it. And what it speaks, it speaks to me in a couple of ways. One is, well, Pete Dye was not just a golf course architect, but a mentor. And he taught guys like Bobby Weed, guys like Bill Core and many others how to design golf courses. So not only do we get to play Pete Dye golf yes. courses for years to come, but his disciples, the, yep. the guys that he taught are, are going to be able to extend that on down the line. It, it's a beautiful thing to me. That, that to me, first of all, I think that was, you, you could not have, uh, given a better tribute there. I, I completely agree. My big takeaway from this whole thing is these courses, uh, you mentioned they have a feel to them, which I think is, is so interesting. And not only in all of the courses that have the Pete Dye fingerprint, but then all of the influence, right? So, you know, the, the hundreds of courses that are, that are Dye designs, you're right, the course list is extensive. And then all of the inspiration to other architects that have come off of these. And yes, we, we, we lost Pete Dye at age 94, but you know, his, his fingerprints, his, his legend will continue to live on because we're going to see these courses, these unbelievable courses for the next however many years. It's going to be amazing. And there's so many courses. He's really the only architect I can think of where there are so many courses named the Die Club, the Die <laughs> yeah. Preserve, the Die Reserve. The, they're, they're all Die. They're, they're all named after Die. And it, it just, when you hear that, it, it definitely rings a tone in, in your mind and you say, wow, I, I need to play that. I'm not sure why, because I know it's going to beat me up, but I, I think I need <laughs> to play it. And, and it just is a major attraction. So um, the world of golf will definitely miss Pete Dye. Um, but I, I think I agree with you entirely. This is no doubt a celebration and it's a great opportunity to celebrate this great game. Absolutely. All right. Now, I uh, that that's going to do it for the first cut, but I, I do want to get you on the record as we do here, Greg, we're, we're two rounds down at this, at the Sony. Uh, you've got to go on the record and make a pick. Now I will tell everyone in our one and done pool, the first cut one and done, you've got Sung Jay. Okay. I so do. You're, you, you're live. Okay. You're only a couple shots back. Uh, are you sticking with Sung Jay or would you like to change your pick? See, it's so funny. You mentioned the one and done pool. Cause I did pick Sung Jay in the one, um, in, in the uh, one and done pool, but I also picked Webb Simpson to win and I'm also still alive with him. So I think I'm going to stick with my Webb Simpson pick. I do think Sungjae is going to have a great week. I think Webb, the reason I didn't pick Webb this week is I thought it was for a player like Webb. I thought it was a little too volatile, the conditions. I thought a Justin Thomas scenario could happen with Webb. And I think there are going to be a number of tournaments where I want to choose Webb. So I, I did think Webb was going to win this week, but I thought Sungjae would be right there. And that was the reasoning for my pick. Um, but I'm going to go with Webb Simpson. All right. I can't blame you for that. Now, I will tell you, I have Colin Morikawa in the one and done yes. pool. So as of right now, I'm feeling pretty good. Um, I, I would like to, just for the nature of it, I'd like to stick with Colin Morikawa, considering I was so impressed with his round and one shot back so he's certainly my 1a i'm sticking with it i think that he can absolutely win this thing but my 1b i would find it hilarious if cameron davis wins it he would (laughs) he would deserve it and he is is statistically in a really good spot so one of those two in this packed field i would be uh 
very thrilled with. And because of the computer, I'll let it slide that you're going to take a 1B. Take an extra guy. I understand. I'll, I'll give you all Thank the credit you. in the world if either of those two win. I appreciate that. All right. Uh, that'll do it for another episode of The First Cut. If you've enjoyed this, uh, do us a favor. Go give us a, a five-star rating and review uh, on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, I thank you, Mr. Greg Ducharme. You can find thank him on you. Twitter. The Real GFD, I'm Rick Gaiman, which is at Rick Run Good on Twitter, and we will talk to you next time. New CBS Sunday. You collect rewards, right? This is how I make my living. When something is lost, everyone's looking for something. He finds it. You strong swimmer? So-so. So-so. So-so's okay. Justin Hartley stars. I survive. You make quick, smart decisions. If you never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker. New Sunday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus.